Our scripture reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God." not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do. We come before you. Lord, I'm so thankful for what you're doing in this church. Lord, lives are being changed. Young people are being saved, being redeemed for eternity. Lord, you are the one that chooses. You are the one that calls. Lord, I thank you for the leaders in our youth group, for the pastors in our church, that you allow us to participate in that process. Lord, I thank you for the the camp and for all those things that you're doing in our church. Lord, I thank you for this Sunday morning, Lord, the enthusiasm, the love, and the joy that is manifest. But Father, even as your passage teaches us that uh, we're your workmanship, and you have laid out a path for us. Father, that we don't become settled on the mountaintop on Sunday morning, Lord, but recognizing there's the outworking on Monday. Father, in this group, in this gathering, There are many issues, struggles, difficulties. Father, we pray for our marriages in our church. Lord, that you would strengthen them. That we would be obedient to the place that you call us. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Father, that you give them wisdom in dealing with their children. And that we always keep our eye upon you, Lord, for your glory. Because what you have done, who you are, calls us to the best. Father, we pray for healing. Lord, we pray especially for healing for Pastor Aaron. Lord, just ask that you would touch him, even now. Lord, that he have a strong sense of your presence. I pray for Abby, Lord, and she has energy and patience. Lord, with a group of people that are just uh, bounding with energy. Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness in these areas. Now, Lord, as we uh, 
As our pastor comes to break the word, Lord, we ask that you would uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, and I pray that we would see Jesus. Lord, we thank you for everything that's happening here. It's for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, I just love the way you loved up on our pastor. I was actually, Pastor Tom, I was going to have you guys greet uh, Pastor Aaron because I know he's listening, but you already did that. You said you love him, and so do I. And I was actually looking forward to him preaching this message, but um, he's unable to do that. And so he asked me, and I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, But we miss him. We long for him to be back. He's our shepherd, and uh, I appreciate who he is and what he does for us. So we love you, buddy. We've been talking about, under the first message that Pastor Aaron preached on this, about the uh, attributes of God. And if you recall, and I reminded you last week, and I do so again this week, that he had some clear outlined objectives in regards to that. He wanted us to be captured by who God is. In fact, you know, that is really true worship. If every Sunday we come here and we never address God and who He is, then we failed because it is all about God in that sense. And so he was saying at that first message, he wants us to be captured and be in awe of His greatness. And then the result of that would be that we would worship Him. He also warned us about the default that we are subject to make God's ourselves. And those are gods that we will fashion with our own hands, and they are gods that we can control. And he says he wants us to break free from that, and he wants us to embrace who God really is. I remember being in India, and as we were traveling to this gathering that I was going to speak at that night, there were, um, all along the road, there were these trucks and cars, and they were carrying these elephants around. And I asked someone, I said, what in the world's going on here? And they said, well, this is a celebration, this weekend's a celebration of the elephant god. I said, really? Really? And it was. And all that night, they celebrated that with um, shouting and laughing and drinking. I went to the gathering that I was gathering at. I said, I'm so thankful that we have a god that carries us around that we don't carry around. Those elephants would get nowhere. I'm not talking about real elephants. These are whatever they made them of. And so uh, Pastor Aaron wanted to remind us that we have a propensity to make gods that we can control. And I want you to understand this morning that God is out of control. He cannot be controlled. Last week, and we've been talking about several things, and I'm not saying he's out of control like he doesn't know what he's doing and somebody needs to manage him. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he is uncontrollable. And we talked last week about the immensity of God, and we talked in terms of knowing that when we speak of the attributes of God, God uses all of his attributes at all times. He is always all that he is. He can't be anything less than that. So when we talked last week about the immensity of God and trying to capture then how big he is and that he can handle anything that we can face, I want you to understand that when we speak of the immensity of God, we're speaking about his love. 
His love is immeasurable. It can't be, there's no boundaries around that. When we think about the immensity of God, we're speaking of His mercy. There's no end to His mercy. There's no boundary on that. There's no beginning or end as we know that. We think of the compassion of God, or next week is the subject of the holiness of God. He's all of those at all times and always. And so when today we speak about the grace of God, He is always, always a gracious God. And it's immense, and it covers all of our sins. And that's why I love singing that song. This is the freedom that God gives to us. So we're going to look at grace today, and um, we're going to address it in three ways. The points are simple. What is the definition of grace? What is saving grace? And we know a lot about that, but also I want to talk about what it is um, sustaining grace. All three things are important. I had a lady come into my office years ago, probably 25 years ago. She wasn't from our church. Somebody had told her to come and talk to me, and so we sat down, and I said, you know, how can I help you after we had prayed? And she said, well, I'm not sure, but I do know this. I don't want you to use that word. I said, well, you're going to have to help me because I may use it. And what is that word? She said, grace. I said, okay, I won't use that word. And then she began to unfold her story, how she had for years labored to please God, to gain the favor of God. Even as she was telling the story, I felt that pain. I felt the emptiness that was in her life. I felt the fact that she had reached the point of exhaustion, no more effort to put forward, and no satisfaction in the midst of that. 45 minutes she went on talking about that. When she was done, I sat silent. She said, so what do you think? Can you help me? I said, I can. I can. She said, and? I said, you won't let me. You need to know about God's grace. Christianity is not what you do for God. It's what God has done for you. And I gave her a book by Chuck Swindoll called Grace Awakening. I was just listening to that book again this week as I was out working in my yard. And I just love his teaching. He has such a simple way of proclaiming truth. She read the book. She embraced the grace of God. It changed her life. She no longer was trying to please God. She knew that God had done everything for her. It was then a celebration of what God had done for her. Fifteen years later, I buried her, a joy-filled, free woman in the Lord. This goes back to Adam and Eve in the very beginning. As soon as they realized they had failed God, they tried to take matters into their own hands to resolve it to make themselves acceptable to God again. My friends, it is impossible. And God in His grace has reached out to us to give us the acceptance and the love and the mercy, the assurance, the peace, the confidence 
that we are His by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the three points then. First of all, what do we mean by the definition of grace? And we hear lots of things about that, and it's, uh, you know, taking the four letters, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E, and and that is true. A.W. Tozer has probably done some of the best work on the attributes of God that you can find. And uh, he, he actually, for his life, was consumed by studying God and knowing God, not just academically, but experientially. This is where he was at. And here's his definition of grace. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. That's what he does. Grace is the good pleasure of God. It brings him delight because of the grace that he is to express himself to us that are undeserving in a favorable way. He goes on to say, it is a self-existent principle inherent in the divine nature and appears to us as a self-caused propensity to pity the, uh, the wretched, save the guilty, welcome the outcasts, and to bring into favor those who were before just in a place of condemnation. Well, that's a lot of words there and a lot of expression. What he really is saying is, that is the nature of God. Grace is who he is. Now, he's love, he's mercy, but grace is an integral part of that as all the other things are. You know, we can t- last week we talked about the power of God, and we embrace that. But if God has power, but no desire to express that to us in any way, in compassion and in mercy and in grace, then all we find is a very punitive, hard God. But His justice and His holiness is all in sync with all of His other attributes, and one of those is, of course, grace. It's used to us as sinful men is to save us, and I'm still quoting from A.W. Tozer, to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We benefit eternally by God being just what He is. Because he is what he is, he lifts up our heads out of the prison house, changes our prison garments for royal robes, and makes us to eat bread continually before him all the days of our lives. That's who God is. And because of who he is, that's what he does. That's what he does. Now, here would be a fun time if we had time. And that would be to have you tell me how you discovered that God loves you and His grace was available to you. Because that's your song of salvation. It it happens in so many different ways. I read one testimony this week. His name was Joseph. And at a very early age, about uh, 14 years of life, he was introduced to drugs. 
and uh, with drugs, and he began to use those. It began to alter his mind and his actions and his disposition. He had no relationship with God. He knew very little about God. And from that, then he moved into pornography, and it became his lifestyle for the next 10 years of his life to every day get up, get high, go to his computer, and watch pornography. That was his life. I want to use his words here because they're so rich in what he's saying here. He said, I became, at, I became addicted to not only drugs, but heavily addicted to porn. And then he talked about watching it from early morning all day. I would just sit there glued to the computer. The devil had me blinded thinking that this was okay, that it was just my hormones and it's natural. He fooled me into thinking that it wasn't sin. I thought it was just natural and I would eventually go through this phase of my life. But in reality, this sin made me aware that I was separated from everything that was decent and honorable and godly. For 10 years, I was like this. All throughout high school and college and even graduating from college and working, for more than 10 years, I would wake up every morning. The first thing I would do was to get high, watch porn. I was so ashamed and embarrassed that this addiction had such a strong hold on me. I tried many times over several years to quit, but I couldn't. I just couldn't bring myself to stop. I would get these lustful urges from seeing something that was on TV and just immediately go and tune in to porn and get high. I cannot control myself. I was depressed and lonely with no real friends. The friends I did have would get high every day and go to bars and strip clubs and nightclubs. I was living in sin. I needed to be saved from my addiction. My parents were Orthodox Christians, and they had no idea about my addiction, which surprises me a little bit. But that was his testimony. But they would take me to church sometimes. I used to think that going to church, taking communion, confessing to a priest was all that I needed to do, but I was wrong. I knew of Jesus, but I did not know him personally. I felt so ashamed. I knew I was a sinner. I knew God hated sin. I wanted to be right with God, but didn't know where to start or how. I thought that I had to quit my addictions first, and then I could get right with God, not knowing that I couldn't stop on my own. I needed God to help me stop. But I was foolish, and I never asked or prayed to God for help. I just thought I could stop on my own. Over the next four years, I failed miserably trying to stop doing all that I was doing, but I never called out to God. I thought that God didn't want anything to do with me. I thought that I had to stop doing first what I needed that would make me acceptable to God. And then I realized how wrong I was. I was so ashamed and embarrassed. I couldn't talk to anyone about my problems. I felt left out everywhere I went. I couldn't even look people in the eye while talking to them because I felt so ashamed. I felt that they knew what was going on. Now, this is an interesting part of his testimony. I had to look this up. Some of you perhaps know who DMX is. 
Some of the young people will know that. He was a rap artist. Some of you are nodding your head. No old people are nodding their heads now. I see that very clearly. Yeah, you have no idea. Well, DMX was kind of an interesting guy. He was a rap singer, and he made a lot of albums and so forth. But he also had this fascination with God and the gospel. And sometimes he would record something that sounded pretty reasonable. Now, the sad part about it is I don't know if it ever was applicable to his life because at 50 years of age, he died uh, from a heart attack due to an overdose of cocaine. So uh, either that was a struggle, a a lapse or whatever. But in this Joseph's life, one day he said, I was on YouTube and I heard DMX. And he said, give me a sign. That was the song that he was singing, this DMX. DMX is a man, it's a singer, a rapper. I made a distinction there. Um, those, songs, those songs he was singing really touched me. I, he felt like he was telling me something about God. He, he was talking about a righteousness of God, about the acceptance through the blood of Jesus. Now, I, I think this is amazing that God can use instruments, amazing instruments, to bring us to him. Don't even know if this, he was saved, this DMX. And he's talking about this person thanking the Father and, and the sacrifice of the Son, He knew that there was something being spoken to him in the depths of his heart. When I got home, I went to my room, and while on my bed, I said to myself, how can I get close to God? And right at that moment, something inside me, not so much a voice, but a thought. It was not audible, but it was clear. And it felt like it was coming from my soul. It said, the only way you'll ever be right is have a relationship with God. I know for sure that God answered my question when I said, you know, how do I get with God? God was speaking to me, telling me of a personal relationship with him. So I began to ask for that. I want that personal relationship. And over and over again, I would ask for that. And then I finally fell asleep. I woke up the next morning. I did not go to drugs. I did not go to This is asking God for a relationship. It's really important that we go on to hear his testimony because sometimes we think all the gospel is is victory over drug addiction, victory over porn, and I have a relationship with God. No sin has to enter in. We have to label it for what it is. And he says this. Now every morning for the past 10 years, the first thing I, I would do before I even got out of the bed was smoke watch. But this particular morning, I had absolutely no desire to get high, no desire to smoke, no desire to drink, no desire to watch porn. It was gone. It was all gone. For 10 years, addiction had been with me since high school and all of a sudden just gone. I didn't even want to smoke cigarettes and I'd been smoking those for a pack a day for a long time. It was all gone. These things that were uh, desperately uh, causing me to be addicted my whole years suddenly didn't matter. That morning, I had only one urge, one new desire that God gave me, reading the Word of God. Hmm. I hungered to read the Bible. I had never had such an urge to read God's Word. It was amazing. I reached for the Bible, and I started reading the New Testament, and I read it all day, and I've been reading it ever since. It's been almost four months now. So this is a pretty good testimony coming from a four-month believer. It's been almost four months now, and I'm happy to say that Jesus is not only my Savior, my best friend. I never looked back, nor have I ever watched porn or 
uh, gotten high or done any of the stuff I used to do. I simply don't have the desire. Jesus has shown me that he is the only way. Jesus has given me a desire to read his word and to pray to him and really have a personal relationship with Jesus. I have so much more to say, but I want to say this. I know that there is nothing I did to save myself. The only thing I did was call out to God and ask him how I could be close to him. And he told me. He gave me the answer. I realize now that we must yield and surrender all to Jesus. He will save us. I was saved by God's grace alone and not by any of my own works. I am dirty, filthy, rotten sinner, deserving to be condemned to hell. But God not only forgave me, but forgot all my sins and saved me because Jesus died for me. And then he gives a great uh, theological commentary on that when he says, wow, wow. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God I'm free at last. This is God's grace that extends to us. It's that grace that, we, that uh, Steve read for us this morning. I just love the way you read that passage. You get such great emphasis on that. You know, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. Sin, 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 sin. And then you just pause there for a moment because this was the, the phrase that is so pregnant. This is who I am apart from God. But God. That's when your life begins. When God intercedes your life, that's when transformation begins, for he saves you. But God, being rich in mercy, and he extends his kindness to us, and he extends his grace to us, and finally summarizes it all by saying, for by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift. Now, when I say it's a free gift, it's free because you didn't have to do anything but receive it. It cost Jesus everything to extend that grace to us. And of course, we could go on to look at some other passages as well. We could look at Romans chapter 3, 21 to 26, talking about what I could not do in myself. God did. We could look at Titus 2, talking about it's by grace that he did all of this in verses 11 to 14. The Apostle Paul never got over the grace of God. He was a, a man who had murder in his heart, who had arrogance in his heart, and he says that. He gives a testimony in Philippians chapter 3. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. As to the law, found faultless. He said, I knew I was working and struggling and doing all that I could. And in fact, I was going against God. I was going to destroy the church of God. I was going to destroy the testimony of Jesus. But God, God interceded. God stopped his path. God, from the very time of, the, of the, uh, uh, his mother in his mother's womb, had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so every one of the books that we read about the Apostle Paul, he starts out with grace and peace. All 13 books, he ends with grace. Why? Because he can never get over the reality of God's grace to him. You know, if you ever think that you certainly deserve to be saved, you're pretty decent. And you look at somebody else and say, how could they ever be saved? 
you've lost the whole gospel message. The message is God's grace is available to all. It's available. And, you know, sometimes um, I heard somebody tell this illustration, and we, we have a, a cup, and in the cup is really our lives. And so whatever's in the cup, if you bump into that, it'll spill out. If I have anger in my life, you bump into it, it spills out. If I have um, uh, judgment in my life, it'll spill out. Or if I have love or mercy or grace, it spills out. But you know something? When we bump into God, only God spills out. Only God. His grace, His mercy, His love, His truth, His holiness, His infinity, and on and on. It's only God. And not only does He save us, but He seeks us. He looks for us. We don't look for God. He looks for us because he wants to redeem you. It is the nature of God to want to redeem you. Now, may I just say then, before I leave this subject, and we, we often sing that song, and I'm, I'm not going to do it now. We're going to do it. We're going to close it. But I want to get to words here. Um, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that uh, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We know who wrote this, John Newton and the circumstances around that. "'Tis grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed." He just couldn't get over the fact that as wicked as a man that he was, that is John Newton, that God could save him. I hope all of the times that are mentioned, 130 sometimes that grace is mentioned in the scriptures, 70 plus of those are mentioned by the Apostle Paul himself. The Apostle Paul is called the Apostle of Grace. He just never could get over the fact that God would save him. In fact, he, he, he shortened his testimony down a lot shorter than Joseph's. He just said, I was chief of sinners. But God, but God. Then we come to the second part which is our third point. That is sustaining grace. I want us to read a a few verses here, and I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Because why, why does the Apostle Paul, this is one of his books that he wrote under the inspiration of the Scripture, why does the Apostle Paul keep talking about grace? Isn't he already saved? Get on with it. Is grace just for redemption, or is grace needed every day? I believe that it's needed every day. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. Did I say that? Verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand. I'm introduced to it, but now it is my habitual place that I dwell. I preached here one Sunday a number of years ago, and uh, somebody came up as a new person to the church there, and they said, oh my, that was a spirit-filled message. And I said, I hope it was, otherwise just wood, hay, and stubble of the flesh, it serves no purpose. And I said, but that's not really what you want to say to me. You know, what is it you want to ask? He said, do you believe in a second work of grace? I said, oh, my friend, 
I'm so beyond the second work of grace. Every day I need new grace. I can't even tell you how many numbers I'm into the grace of God. I'm sustained by His grace. I can't live. I don't know what he was asking. He really wanted to know if I spoke in tongues. And, and I said, will it make any difference if I do or don't? He said, no, it did. <laughs> Think about the grace of God. Can I just look at another, just go a little further in your Bibles here to another writing of, um, of, um, of Paul to the 15th chapter of, sec- of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 15:10, "But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of you, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. It is God's grace. It is the benevolence of God. It is the kindness of God. It's the provision of God. It's the riches of God that is poured out upon him that enables him to go on. And then if you'll turn just further, last reference, and then we'll draw some conclusions here. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul is now talking about himself there, chapter 12, verse 1. Verse 1, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on, but I, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, I think he's talking about himself here, of course, who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know not, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or the spirit, I do not know, knows God, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. What an experience Paul is having here. I mean, what a gift God was giving to him. He was giving him this great show. On behalf of such a man, I will, uh, on behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my own weaknesses. For not, I do not wish to boast, I will be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth. But I remain from this, I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me for more than he sees or hears from me. Because of this surpassing greatness of revelations, so there's multiple things that were going on there in the expression of who God is, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I employed the Lord three times that it might leave me. So here was a case not sustaining him in his work, but keeping him humble by the thorn in the flesh that was his, whatever that was. A lot of people speculate as to what that might be. And so when he asked God, would you take this away from me? God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with the difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God's grace sometimes leads us into a hard place that we're not set free from 
so that we will indulge that habitual grace of God to keep us well balanced in terms of how we're living life. I don't think that we realize whether it is God sustaining grace in adversity, and this is the complexity of life. Uh, Someone has a child who has a sickness that I've witnessed over times of pastoring, and we've prayed and asked for God, oh God, please be gracious here. And God takes that child, and He sustains that family. And other times, God in His grace, we pray out, God, would you raise up this child? And He does. Is that not confusing to you? Whether His grace delivers or whether His grace sustains, it is still by grace that all of this takes place. Now, we don't always understand how all that materializes. But I believe that God's grace is always at work. Always. Our son moved outside of Chicago a number of years ago, and um, he really didn't know anyone in Chicago. I didn't either. I, I knew one person, but uh, he was a professor at a seminary. But we really didn't know anybody. So when we got to um, outside of Chicago there, had to find an apartment for him to live in. There are thousands of thousands of apartments all in the Chicago area. Thousands upon thousands. But we found this one apartment, and he, um, we furnished, furnished it kind of. I mean, his way of upgrading was he left early in the morning because he had to go to school, and then he went to work. I mean, it was a pretty strong course he was in, but sometimes people that had moved out left better furniture than he had, and so he'd make an exchange. That's called a furniture upgrade for him. But Well, in this apartment... Uh, there was another man below him with the last name of Jones. And in order to get this fully developed, the mailman had to be involved with this because he kept getting them mixed up. And finally, one day, Michael got this man's paycheck. And he went down and he said, here's the mail, your mail. And he said, man, this is bad. This is my paycheck. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, what do you do? He said, I work commercial HVAC uh, for this company. Oh, is that a good company? Yeah, it is. And so he then asked Michael, he said, well, what are you doing? He said, I'm just finishing up with HVAC training. And so is that a good company? He said, yeah. He said, in fact, I'm quitting this week. I'm taking a job over in Russia. You should take my job. Long story short, that's how he got his job. Now, if we'd have started this journey out and Michael would say, Dad, when I finish my training, how am I going to get a job? I said, buddy, this is easy. First of all, we've got to pick the right apartment. <laughs> and then we've got to make sure Jones is living underneath. And we've got to get the mailman in all of this, too. We've got to make this guy's worse. And that's the grace of God. Every once in a while, he draws it back so we can see his interaction with us. And you could stop. We could stop again right here. And you could tell 
how God's sustaining grace intercepted you at a certain place. And I believe it goes on more than we ever see in terms of that. Well, let me wrap this up with a conclusion. By the way, do you know how uh, amazing grace goes on? Through many dangerous toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. So there is not only the redemptive grace that we see, but here's John Newton telling us about the sustaining grace of God as well. About four years ago, I was um, finishing the men's Bible study, and one young man there that was going through a struggle said, hey, Mike, I heard a new song. He was just in his car, just driving away. He said, I heard a new song, and I don't know if you've heard that song or not. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, "Uh, there was Jesus. I had heard that. And, uh, And I was reminded, I said, yeah, I love that song. Again, while I was working in my yard and listening to music, I tell you, it was just one of those times. Music is uh, that has truth in it. So here I am, neighbors, I got both earbuds in. I can't hear anything with the music that's in. I can't even hear the weed eater that I'm using there. But I stopped there, and I said, when I heard this song, I, said, I just stopped and put the weed eater down and raised my hands. There was Jesus. There was Jesus. And this song goes on to say... Uh, Zach Wims is the one who sings it. Every time I tried to make it on my own, every time I tried to stand and start to fall, and all those lonely roads that I was traveled on, there was Jesus. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere, nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I see it now. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces, every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it and couldn't see it, there was Jesus. For this man who needs amazing kind of grace, for forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay, I'm not perfect, so I thank God every day. There was Jesus in the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, and the hurting. Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces, every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going. Even when I don't know or couldn't see, there was Jesus. When we talk about the immensity of God, when we talk about the omnipresence of God, And then we add any of the attributes of God. God is in His grace always here. Right now. Right now. In His love, He's here. Right now. And He's speaking to your heart like He did Joseph. Maybe for the first time for salvation. He said, I'm here. Call out. 
call out. Embrace me. Know that I died for you and set you free. Know that freedom. Or perhaps some of you are carrying around things that you've been trying to clean up for a long time for God. And you're tired of that. The weight's too heavy. The burden's too great. There is no freedom in that. And what God is saying to you, and he's saying it to me, as he said to me even yesterday, I'm here. My grace is here. And my grace overcomes. It is grace that is greater than all your sin. And I'm going to invite you in the quietness of your heart right now. If there's an area of your life that God is speaking to you on right now where you need that manifestation of God's grace, would you receive that? God is not reluctant to give that to you. He's not hesitant. He's eager to extend that grace to you. Would you receive that? Or perhaps you're here and you say, you know, Mike, I've been trying to please God and I've been trying to figure out God and now you're telling me that in His grace He did that for me. He died for my sins. And you've never known that peace. I extend that invitation to you. Receive that gift. Receive the gift from God. Truth for you. Number one, God is for you. God is for you. Number two, God alone can transform your heart. Truth number three, God will bring you through all that you are facing. Four, God rejoices in doing good for you. He loves that. Five, we need to hold on to the end to the very end and never deny the power of his loving care. That's the grace of God. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for just giving us a glimpse. We haven't even touched the surface. Your grace is inexhaustible. It's inexpressible. We have a minor glimpse of that, Lord. And what we do see, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're changed. We have hope. Some, perhaps for the first time this morning, have prayed that, just like kids in camp this week. Some have been carrying some stuff around too long. And they just gave it to you now. And they're singing the song of a soul set free. Because you're a way maker. You're a chain breaker, Lord. You're a grace displayer. And we received that as a gift from you, Lord, celebrating and worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.